This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Praise God. We are going through a series on the nature of true Christianity, and I've mentioned that this is an adaptation of a uh, wonderful book by Francis Schaeffer, outlining some uh, amazing spiritual principles to us on the real Christian life. And this is an important topic because there is so much confusion within the church. Uh, I'd encourage you to go to cgc.org.au and download last week's uh, sermon. And because we're skipping through the B, we have a fair bit of content to get through today. The slides are there. Um, if you want to, if you don't catch any of it, uh, I can open up the computer. You can flick through the slides afterwards. So we're talking about the centrality of death. Death being a very central theme to Christianity. Turn to Luke chapter 9, and we'll read together in Luke 9. Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 20. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Messiah of God. It's an unfortunate translation, the word Christ. We we get that from the Greek, Christos. And uh, it's an unfortunate translation because it means nothing in English. It's like the word uh, baptism directly from the Greek. It, it just has no meaning in English. Uh, the word would be immersion. And so the word Christ is the anointed or the Mashiach in the um, in the Hebrew, the anointed of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. So he talked about his own death and now he's talking about those who follow him. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. Seems this was a habit And uh, it's a habit many people still struggle with. 
And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were fearful as they entered the cloud and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, this morning. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the richness of uh, worship this morning, how thrilled and joy-filled our hearts become as we worship you and praise you. We thank you for this. Thank you that in the simplicity of the songs that we've sung is a richness of words that helps us to express our love and our devotion to you. We thank you for this passage of scripture and we know, Lord, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Lord, that it might teach us, is profitable for us, for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness that we might be fully equipped to live for you. So we praise you and we thank you this morning. Let your word dwell in our hearts richly. Let your spirit move in our hearts by the power of your word. In Christ's mighty name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, at the close of last week's message, I left you with this thought that Jesus demonstrated the pattern of biblical Spirituality. What is biblical spirituality? Is it the uh, wealth, prosperity doctrines? You know that uh, that God has uh, saved you so that you can uh, claim riches and live a prosperous life. Uh, I would say no. The pattern of biblical spirituality, true spirituality, is one of rejection. Christ was rejected. That's why we sang this morning, all the blood of Jesus. He was crucified and he was resurrected. That is the pattern of biblical spirituality. And you and I are called that we would take up our cross to follow the Lord Jesus Christ daily, dying daily to the pull of the world around us. The theme of the encounter at the the Mount of Transfiguration was his death. The Greek states that Moses and Elijah were speaking with him, and it says in the Greek, when it says they they spoke of his decease, which he was about to go through, uh, appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The word here, spoke, means that they continually spoke. That's what they came and talked about. That was it. It wasn't, hey, Jesus, how are you going? You know, how's the day been? How's the food? You know, it it wasn't that. It was about his mission and his task, which was to accomplish something in his death. This is a different perspective. It's the antithesis of the world's perspective. The world's perspective is in one direction. It's self-preservation. It's about self-enrichment, self-empowerment, the common theme being self in all of that. 
But the theme of Scripture, the, the perspective of Scripture is that you and I would deny self and follow Jesus. That we would love God and love our neighbor, preferring our neighbor even before ourselves. This is the antithesis of the world's thinking. In this world, individuals see themselves as the center of the universe. And in the Christian life, we are called to see God as the center of the universe and ourselves outside of that and looking in. This is a world, as we discussed last week, that denies itself of nothing. Whatever they want, and you have seen that with the, um, you know, and us Christians were just so negative during the same-sex marriage debates and campaigns because we were saying this is going to open a door to all kinds of other sinful uh, activity that people will get involved in. And so now uh, the left and and, uh, perverted people are trying to normalise Uh, sexual relationships with children and all kinds of things. You can see whole, uh, 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 you can see lives, young lives being distorted by this. There are now trans kids and, uh, you know, if a kid comes to school and says that even though he's got a body of a boy, but he's a girl, he's really a girl, the the teachers can do nothing uh, about that. It's just disgraceful. This comes from a world that denies itself of nothing. Everything this world wants, it will try and pursue. And an interesting quote that Jad and I came across by one man who says that, uh, that, that evil uh, has this purpose to, to overcome that which is good. And so... Uh, children, innocent children being one of the most loving and and beautiful forms of good, uh, evil has this intent to corrupt children. And so we're seeing that, uh, you know, and and parents, if you have children in school, you're you're on the front lines with this, with children being exposed to safe schools and all this other stuff. The world pressures the church to try and behave like the world. And so you can see that those who named the name of Christ, uh, there were many who came out, pardon the pun, but came out during the same-sex marriage debate to, to endorse homosexuality. And people developed all kinds of theologies uh, around homosexuality and same-sex marriage and all kinds of things. And, you know, and this is from this constant push Constant push, this false thinking that if I was born this way, it's the way God made me. But these uh, words in this setting give us a different perspective. These words and the words that we've read this morning give us the perspective of the kingdom of God rather and its view down to earth rather than the earth and its view of itself. Our own fallen nature we get to see in Scripture. We're not the center of the universe. We're not the gods of our own lives. 
Our natural view, uh, that of the world, is a an elevated perspective of self. But scripture calls us to look at self and deny self. To see that we are corrupted with sin and that without the grace and the mercy of God demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ, you and I are lost in that sin. The the perspective of the kingdom of heaven demonstrates that such negative thoughts as rejection, crucifixion, these negative thoughts are entirely positive when viewed from the understanding of Scripture. Let's continue on this morning. Moses and Elijah kept speaking with Christ about his coming death. And we don't know how long this conversation went on, but it went on long enough that the disciples fell asleep. Um, They seemed to be good at falling asleep. They spoke and they kept speaking of this. John introduced this idea to us as well. John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is directly a reference back to that lamb of the story of Abraham and his son. It directly uh, harkens back to that as the example of the Lamb of God, the, the ram that was provided in substitution for Abraham's son. Well, the, thinking of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, there's, in the Hebrew mind, this is a lamb that's going to die. And this is what John pointed out to the crowd and the onlookers as Jesus came towards him. Behold the Lamb of God. This is the one who will die in our place to take away our sin. Because it's a theme of Scripture. Rejection, crucifixion. Rejection, death. Resurrection. Here then is the wonder of the ages. Here is the true perspective in which the conversation is centered on one topic between Yeshua, the Messiah, and these two men present, Moses and Elijah, that God in human flesh was going to die on this earth. And so, you know, the disciples wake up and Peter, always full of good ideas, let's build a tabernacle. Let's build three tabernacles. You can all have a place to sleep in and rest. We can make this a holy place to remember. And and so, you know, the, the Father has to speak from heaven or at least a voice is heard from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear him. That's a polite way of saying, shut up, Peter. (laughs) Be quiet. Listen to what Jesus has to say. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah and Jesus were speaking of his death. 
That's what was taking place. And so, you know, this is a powerful thought because this is God in human form. God who vacated the throne of heaven to take on form like us, fully human, yet fully God. Is the theological term is the hypostatic union and, uh, you know, big deal. Fully man and fully God in the person of Jesus. And he was going to die. And that has uh, created some interesting theological discussion about, um, uh, you know, about various different subjects. But this comes to us in this understanding. We, we get a picture of this that is a little bit broader at our point of understanding than the disciples had at that point. We get to read what John said, Behold the Lamb of God. We get to see that through the Jewish eyes of understanding. Lamb of God, he's going to die. We get to understand that. We get to see that through Scripture and understand that where they're getting little glimpses of things. And here they are. Jesus said there are those standing here who are not going to die, who are going to see the kingdom of God. Eight days later. They get to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration and something of the kingdom of God is opened up to those disciples. God as a true man, after the incarnation, comes as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Like This is, this is amazing stuff. And uh, later, we, we haven't got the music, so Simon will play it later and we will sing that old hymn at the cross, at the cross, because it has got a wonderful verse in it. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in. Imagine getting the sun to hide away in darkness. Every now and then you can see that when you have a, a, a solar eclipse and the, you know the moon travels between. It's at the right distance that it just blacks out the sun and all of a sudden, in the middle of the day, it becomes night. We, we get... This picture, but here the hymn writer is talking of that time in Christ's crucifixion when the world became darkness. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin? That's us, it's awesome line in a song. This is wonderful poetry, but it demonstrates a man who has thought and pondered about about the power of that encounter, that time. And so the, 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 the sun should hide in that moment and shut its glories in because Christ was dying for man's sin. What a thought. 1707. But we're more enlightened today. That's a great revelation, isn't it? Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man, the creature's sin. This is the centre of the Christian message. This is where the Christian message spins off from. It comes from this, Christ's death on the behalf of sinful man. 
It works out from there. Let's get that right, first of all. Get that right in your gospel presentation. Get that right in the outworking of your lives, that Christ died for you. The central truth, Christ's death, is central to the gospel message. There's a lot of liberal theology around today and you know there are people who who say that Christ didn't die and and uh, there is emphasis put on the um, you know this theology and that theology but Christ's death is central to the gospel message without his death we cannot have his resurrection without his resurrection you and I cannot be brought into new life as Romans 6 declares that with his resurrection, we also are raised from the dead. It's essential in order to make the way for the central truth that the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is central to Scripture all the way from Genesis chapter 3. It was alluded to in the garden in Genesis 3 verse 15 was the first prophecy that Messiah would be bruised in the process of crushing Satan's head. Genesis 3.21, God clothed Adam and Eve in animal skins to cover their nakedness, which was not, not so visible before. As they were clothed and in the glory of God. But to clothe them in their skins required the shedding of blood. Animals were killed for them. I have a funny thing with food and, and uh, you know, I, I am not a vegetarian, uh, it should be said, but, but I've hunted and, and trapped animals and, and I respect animals because of that, because I've had to, you know, um, kill them for food. And we, you know, we've shot them, um, skinned them, butchered them and eaten them. That's, that's kind of how the process goes. And so, you know, even as a result of that, even today when I buy meat, it's, a, it's actually a thought in my mind that these animals are dead to sustain us, you know. These animals, the Lord took them. He killed them so that they would be clothed. Animals provide a lot for us, don't they? The Lord provides a lot for us. Genesis 22, we get this great understanding as as the revelation from Genesis 3 is starting to unlock more and more. And in Genesis 22, we get this um, uh, this allusion to God's provision that God will provide. And, you know, you, it's hard to read Genesis chapter 22 as, as a parent and not see the depth of that statement, Father, where is, the, where is the lamb for sacrifice? I see the fire, I see the wood. Where's the lamb? God will provide. I mean... That's why he's called the father of the faith. 
because he believed God. And as we then find in the New Testament, he believed that God would even raise his son if he was obedient to the point of killing his own son. Exodus 12, the Passover lamb was slain. You can see a central theme through this, can't you, of death. Death for man's sin. Isaiah 53, we sang it this morning. Wounded, bruised, like a lamb to the slaughter. Cut off from the land of the living. A poetic way of saying he was killed. Poured out his soul unto death. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Down through the centuries, this message, this central message of death was carried until finally John would declare, as we mentioned before, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This we have to keep central. His death is the subject of thousands of years of prophecy. It's the centre of the Christian message. It is the redemptive death of Christ by which all men can be saved. And in John 3, Jesus also spoke of his death as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You can compare John 12, 32 and 33 and see that he's referring specifically to his own death. Hebrews 7, 25 to 27. Everywhere we turn in Scripture, we are going to find this central theme. Christ's death, his substitutionary death. This is the cornerstone of true spirituality, of biblical Christianity. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We sang about this this morning. Behold, the, uh, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once for all, when he offered up himself. The author of Hebrews recognises there is a, a great distinction between Jesus who offered up himself and the priests who would first of all have to come before God and make offerings to cleanse themselves so that they could then go and mediate on the behalf of the people. It was risky business for them otherwise. Romans 3 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation. How? By his blood. The, the Jewish mind understood that statement immediately. They knew what that meant. Through faith, 
to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. For God to be just with sinners, he has to condemn them. And this is why Paul is writing this. He's he's saying in, in order for God to be just and save people, there had to be a payment for people's sins. But if you and I died in our sins, that is the only payment we can make. It won't save us. Revelation, even the closing book of the Bible, we started with Genesis and we get to Revelation, even here, the centrality of Christ's death. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the seven uh, and the, and the uh, 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which were... Uh, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take up the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Hallelujah. There's a few tribes and tongues in here. We're all saved in the same way. Amen. By the same God. By the same faith. The same blood. And so from all the way from Genesis through to Revelation and from the theology of the first century church to today, the gospel message of the church must stay the same. We have to herald to people the centrality of the death of Christ. This is important for us because that being a foundation helps to stay the church on its course. It helps to keep the church away from heresies that will pull into legalism and liberalism. We keep all the work of salvation in the work that Christ did. He was our substitute or our propitiation as Paul used, the one who goes between the anger of God. God's angry. Yeah, he's angry at sin. His wrath is going to be poured out against sin. That, that's a picture of God's anger. You, you can be righteously angry. In fact, it, it would be wrong of you not to be angry about certain things. For example, the abortion laws in Victoria be wrong of you. If you love life and you love children and you love God, you would look at those laws and say, that makes me angry. You can take a child's life up to nine months in this state with two doctor's signatures. That should make you angry, righteously angry. Anger is not a wrong emotion, but it's to be uh, given direction, given light by the information of Scripture. Scripture is to inform us as to how our anger should be directed and how we should use that anger. From the time of the fall, 
until its very end. This is the message. This is the central truth. So we're not to be surprised when we read, and behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah. Well, that, that's, that is a little surprising, you know, in some ways, because, you know, they had gone a long time before this event. One was dead. The other was taken. Who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So we shouldn't be surprised that that which is the central theme of Scripture was the conversation, the conversation, that's all it says, that they continue to speak about his death. Of course they talked about it. They had a stake in it. Remember Jesus gives us a story about a poor man who's outside the rich man's gates and and he dies and the rich man dies and the the poor beggar man is taken into Abraham's bosom and the wealthy man is suffering in torment. Send, Send Lazarus over and even just to put a drop of water on my tongue. He's in torment. And so many believe that Jesus is speaking of that place in which the saints of old were waiting in a a place of paradise before they could go into the kingdom of God and be with the Lord in his presence fully with his death. And that with his death, he led them out of there. So Moses and Elijah had some interest in this. The disciples had some interest in this. You and I have some interest in this conversation because it is central to the Christian message. Now, the death of the Lord Jesus is unique in history. There is nothing like it. His death was typified before that. It was shown by type before that in substitutionary death. And we talked before about Abraham and the ram that was caught in the thicket to substitute for Abraham's son, Isaac. But there is no death like Jesus' death. Because that ram caught in the thicket was only a type of what was to come and it only substituted for one person there. Substituted for his physical death. But there is no death like Jesus' death. There's no parallel to it in history. It has to stand as absolute in our thinking. This is a death that is unique in all of history. His substitutionary death on the cross, which is, we've talked, mentioned this before, but it is, it is a, a, a death that happened at a time in history and at a place in history. And this is important for us because we have to remember it's not just a story. This is an event that happened in history in space and time. This had infinite value because of who died. That's why. 
Therefore, his death is entirely sufficient. God died on our behalf. Therefore, your sins can be entirely remitted. Nothing needs to be added. This is why the gospel of good works is is such a dangerous thing. You know, it it causes you to, to feel great anguish inside when you talk to someone who's caught up in a cult. And I remember one time talking to a young fellow from the Mormon church um, and I was asking him how he can be saved and uh, various different things. And I remember him saying at one point to me that um, uh, um, I do my best, Jesus makes up the rest. And it's a little quote that they have from their, uh, their cult that they are to work as hard as they can and the shortfall of their lives is made up for by the Lord. That's a works mentality. This is what separates Roman Catholicism from biblical Christianity. Roman Catholicism is a works-based religion that relies on repetition of prayers and lighting of candles and doing good deeds and all these things. Therefore, Roman Catholicism reduces the death of Christ, raises the good that man can do, therefore it is an unbiblical cult. That is why Catholicism cannot be called Christian. That'll get some love on the internet. Nothing need be added, nothing can be added. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 9. Christ puts forth in chronological order, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Rejection, crucifixion, resurrection. That's the order. This speaks of his coming in a unique way because his coming to the earth was not about the establishing of a religion. It wasn't so that we can say, you know, that we're Christians. It's not for that purpose. It's so that he could substitute for our sins. Verse 23, Then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. For for us, we're even to reject ourselves at that point and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The Christian life is a life of rejection, death and resurrection. It is principally a problem in the Western church that thinks somehow we can make Christianity cool and that will get people to be involved. It's, It's wrong thinking. We need to speak the truth. Speak the truth. Let the truth be a dividing line. Not try to cajole people into the door by having, you know, whatever it might be. Lights and smoke machines, whatever. Who who cares what idea people have? As soon as we set aside this, as soon as we take 
the centrality of crucifixion and we set that aside, we are minimizing the gospel message. We're doing harm to the power of God unto salvation. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Once we minimize the cross of Jesus, once we minimize that rejection and death and the resurrection, we're doing harm to that gospel message. And our teaching is no longer Christian at all. It is cultic at that point. If we... Even if we take away from... If we believe these things about rejection and crucifixion and, and resurrection, but we, we distort it, we're then adding in theologies that are robbing from the power of God. Let's keep moving. Jesus calls his disciples to follow in the same way. Remember I mentioned earlier Philippians 2, let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. Jesus says in verse 26, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. Strong words. And in his fathers and in the holy angels. So Jesus is not talking about some romantic feeling here with, you know, come, come to Jesus and you just get you know, like a, a Christmas tree full of presents kind of thing, you know, and you're going to have this amazing experience. He's not talking about that. He, his focus is on the self-denial. His focus is on dying to self to follow him. And he's speaking to a crowd who understood the words that he spoke. So much of Christianity has become very emotional today. Um, abstract ideals, romantic feelings, centered messages. Um, you know, there's there some dangerous stuff around, and people talking about being married to Jesus, and then going on to talk about it in a um, a very romanticized, sexualized style. Like it's it's perverse, you know. There's just some nutty stuff going on, you know. Jesus calls us to this pattern: rejection, crucifixion, resurrection. There is a, to be a denial of self, self, rejection, crucifixion, resurrection, and the Church of the Third World, you know, throughout. Asia has understood this in the 20th century. I can't remember the, the man's name where the song I Have Decided to Follow Jesus came, came from, but um, uh, I believe he was being assaulted and, and by a, a group of radical Hindus and uh, they were taking him to kill him and he began, they, they called him to deny Christ and he, his response was, I have decided to follow Jesus 
and uh, the, the, the world behind me, the cross before me. He kept singing that all the way till they, uh, till they put him to death. That's who it is? Oh, yeah, the woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, still happening. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? You see, if we take away this centrality of death, if we take that away in order to try and save our lives, right? Jesus said if we seek to save our own lives, we'll lose them. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. The centrality of death is central to the Christian message. It is the central truth. And you know, people debate, oh, it wasn't a cross, they were using stakes at that time, and you know, that's not the point. The point is that Jesus was nailed to it, and he died. There's no saving power in that shape, you know. You wear that shape around your neck, it does not do anything for you. The old vampire movies holding it out, it's not going to help, you know. It doesn't help. There's no intrinsic power in it, but that Jesus went to the cross, that you and I can put our faith in him, and that we can deny ourselves Take up the cross of daily living for him and follow him. That is the central truth of Christianity. Amen. True spirituality stems out of this. Hallelujah. So the pattern, rejection, crucifixion, resurrection. There is no resurrection without rejection and crucifixion. There's no resurrection without death. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. What a, what a wonderful message the Christian gospel is. Oh, so some of you are still getting that down. It's unique in all the world. There's nothing like it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That is, that's the nature of true Christianity and that is the cornerstone right there. Good name for a church, that cornerstone. But that's the the cornerstone gospel message, is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he did that by being rejected by his own people, crucified and resurrecting, because death had no hold on him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.